I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity, auth, versioning, and more. All right, thanks for everyone tuning in again to API Intersection Podcast. Super stoked today. We've got Anna for uh, co-hosting from Stoplight. Anna, you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Super exciting guest today with John Buster, old friend of mine. Been through a lot of different places and swap notes over the years. But John spent the last few years at Ford, and uh, we're fascinated by the work he's done there. So I guess, Anna, give us a a brief about yourself, and then, uh, John, you can take a few minutes kind of tell us where you're at. Sure. I'm the product marketing manager at Stoplight. I get to work with Jason a lot, which is pretty fun. I'm helping kind of tell our story in the marketplace. And I am very excited to talk to John because Jason and I were geeking out about being Ford families. My husband's family goes way back. And so we both drive matching Ford Fusions. So <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about you know the, the opportunities of connected data and everything that you're doing at Ford. Yeah, thanks, Anna. So, John, uh, I guess, you know, give us your kind of intro about a little bit about who you are for probably the handful of folks that don't already know. Well, again, thanks for having me on the show. So, yes, I'm currently a Ford. Um, I'm the director of engineering for Ford Pro, which is a new division focused on commercial customers, fleet customers. And I've been at Ford for four years. And I came to Ford having spent the last 30 years sort of in, in various parts of startups and big companies. And and having found a programmable web in 2005, I spent the last 15 years in APIs in one way, shape, or form, right? And part of what was attractive to me at Ford was, here's this industry that's going through this massive transformation of you know, connectivity and electric vehicles and self-driving cars. And under the covers, so much of that is going to wind up being API and platform and ecosystem driven. So I've had an awesome time at Ford in a bunch of different roles, uh, but you know, part of the the thread there is, is, is APIs. So, you know, I think the bit that is probably like dusting off the cobwebs for you, but I, we're particularly interested in certainly at Stoplight, and I know that's what people tend to listen to the podcast for, is kind of how API governance became a thing. And that yeah, it seemed, sounded like that's kind of where you got started at Ford. And, you know, how do we like bring order to this? And Ford's on the order of like 180,000 plus employees or something by last numbers I checked. So this is not a small scale operation, right? Yeah. And, and of course, you think of Ford as this vehicle manufacturing company that's been doing it for, you know, 118 years. And, but behind the scenes, there's, there's, there's this large, software engineering organization that keeps going larger, right? We're hiring, by the way, because we're becoming digitally enabled, right? So if you think about any large IT organization, a Fortune 500 company or Fortune 20 in this case, you have lots of teams that are building sort of API products across the organization. Some some are public-facing, some are internal, some are related to the car itself. And so one of the things that when, when early on when I came to Ford, we... We were looking at doing some public-facing APIs, and we've done some of that. But also, we realized just how many internal APIs we had, and it was quite fragmented. So how do we go about bringing more order to that sort of chaos of the, of the different teams? Um, so we stood up a team called the Platform Enablement Team. And originally, it was a small half a dozen people, and now it's closer to 100 people who are all focused on APIs across the company, right, in any part of Ford, so whether it's 
you know, Ford Credit or the self-driving cars, sort of how do we start to do governance as, as one piece of it and, and not heavy handed sort of hammer type, but how do we make team, how do we up level the whole organization? And we have the executive buy-in from the very top so that, you know, you don't have to sell the idea of APIs or doing it well. Everybody's bought in. So then it comes down to, okay, how do we actually make that happen? Uh, so you know, that team that we set up was focused on it. Who do you choose to be on that team and what kind of skills do they bring to be part of the enablement team? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's a, just like any uh, sort of API teams, they have to be a bit mostly multidisciplinary because you're going to need you're going to need some engineering folks who are sort of down, understand building software, right? So some of those teams are actually building software. Others are doing evangelism within the company, right? So they're out there, customer success solutions teams to kind of help other teams, you know, bring up their API level quality or how to get them into the right pipeline. Then there's some strategy teams looking, okay, across this, as we start to look at what we're building, what should we be building? You know, what, what's going well? Where do we need to change things? Um, do we have any duplication? Any big company, you're naturally going to have some pockets of things that look similar. So how do we sort of rationalize some of that over time? And some of the, and again, some of the strategy, right? Some top down corporate strategy and sort of tying into, you know, things happening in headquarters and sort of tying that together from a strategic perspective of, where, where should we put, put in more investment? Yeah, I, I think it's one thing that stood out for me for Ford for the last few years. I, you know, very notable for me that we had you know high level Ford execs coming to API conferences five six years ago talking about you know the commitment to it. I think that's that's stood out for me that there's something different going on there. You know, I would add a note here that first of all, calling it enablement right out of the gate, like that's a thing we've heard, right? Like, don't do center of excellence, do enablement model. I think starting with six people, definitely indicative of, you know, start with a small group that's building broader kind of federated approach. And even at 100 people, I would just point out, we're talking a half a percent of the population of the company. So still incredibly small. Granted, at, you know, other companies, 100 might sound like a lot. So that's like ticking a lot of the boxes of things that we hear about what makes successful programs. I guess when you look at like, you know, beyond the different kind of multidisciplinary roles involved, what are kind of the, what were the primary things that you're looking at in terms of, you know, what determines good APIs in, at Ford? First of all, so <laughs> part, of, part of the question for any big company or even small ones sometimes is what APIs do you have? Like, what do we got? Right? <laughs> I'm sure you see this all the time, right? Again, so, so one, of the, one, of the initial, one of our initial work streams was API catalog, right? So we, we you know, registered the internal domain of apicatalog.ford.com set up, okay, so what are we going to start to build there as a go-to place that's not a totally generic API catalog, but it has more substance that makes sense in our environment. And then we started to add to that. So anyway, that's the catalog. Like, what do we got? Is that sort of an internal web-based portal that we're talking about, or does catalog mean more than that? Yeah, it's an internal web-based, but it's database-backed. And, and you know, part of what we think is really cool about it is you know, it helps answer a lot of questions that you run into on the on the inside, which are, Whose API is this? Like, what team do I go to, right? Who's the point of contact? Like, it seems easy, but that, that wasn't in there. Or does every team have a, an open API spec, right? Do they do, right? Do they have that consistency or like something that we can use as the input, right? So we've started to sort of help teams do that. That's part of what's in there. Then you start looking at how are you going to get operational excellence, right? So this is another key area for us. Okay, so much more of the business depends on these, you know, it becomes... You know, all of millions of customers now use the Ford Pass app, right? So you buy a Ford car, you're going to use the Ford Pass mobile app on your iOS or Android device, right? 
And you want that thing to be reliable. And underneath the covers, it's using you know, dozens and dozens of API calls to do like any mobile app does. But we need to make sure that those are up. And so we put a lot of time and energy into, as every company does, like, oh, wow, this is really important. We're going we're gonna to make sure this thing, you know, we have these operational behind the scenes pieces, making sure that those non-functional requirements are met. So in the API catalog, you can then tie into when you're, you know, if you were troubleshooting, the teams want to go look at it, you can see those metrics. You can tie it into those backend systems to see the charts and the performance metrics. So it isn't just, here's a list of all the APIs, right? So someone may start there and that's fine. You know, you don't, to get into the catalog, that's all you need, right? You just need to be. But as you start to grow in there, we start to enable, you know, teams to do more of themselves and sort of do this loosely coupled API catalog becomes this cool, extensible, loosely you know, tagged thing to go get other pieces of data elsewhere. And at a high level, is this stuff like sort of SLA, SLO type definition? or Yeah, exactly. And then I guess tying back to, um, I guess you've got to have some kind of environmental constructs to kind of tie back to various instances and things that get rolled up. Yeah, again, it's what API gateways is a tie to. Um, and also things like as product owners start to evolve their sort of API, as you know, API product ownership is different than other types of product ownership, right? And, and so we want to be very, you know, API product driven, platform driven as a company. And so, you know, using these tool, these tools and these platforms as a way to kind of enable and, and upskill all of us by default. So make, make doing the, the right thing, the easy thing, right? And sort of baking in API metrics and sort of thinking about just not, you know, API traffic metrics, but you know, what does that tie back to some business value? So again, growing that along the way. So API catalog was one. And I saw touched on another big work stream for us, which was metrics, right? You know, starting to, you know, both meta metrics around API, how many APIs do they have? What kind of APIs do we have? Again, across as we start to grow the catalog, right? So that we can see it both within a team and across teams, across organizations. So all those different you know, taxonomies and sort of structures. So that was super helpful because then we get, oh, okay, well, here's where the, like, you know, again, it's, it's the 80-20 rule where should we be investing more or less, what's working well, error rates, those sorts of things. And then the third big work stream was that SRE, sort of DevOps, you know, operational piece of the puzzle. And then the fourth big work stream was that evangelism and, and success for the, all the teams. And that's where a lot of the growth has been going out to other teams and helping them. You mentioned that you had, you know, kind of all the executive buy-in and support for all this, which, you know, is another hallmark of what we see is that's, you know, requisite for success. The band of rebels can only get so far, right? But I'm curious, presumably at starting at six people with a few work streams, presumably borrowing people from elsewhere or whatever, out of the gate you're trying to build up like, how do I prove the value of this and get bigger investment? So tying it back to kind of like business outcomes when you're looking at okay, we'll have a catalog of APIs and have a better baseline of what our operational status is. How did that kind of net you further investment to get to now what you're talking about, 100 people? Low-hanging fruit, so you, you show success, right? Like success builds on success, so you need to be able to say, okay, this is what we did with a scrappy little team, right? Here, look, we got, a, we got our sort of V1 MVP catalog, right? Oh, look, here, and then taking these up and then putting one of the folks on the team was focused on the metrics piece, right? We could show value there because when you take it up to the executive team, they understand numbers, they understand you know the histogram of, of what's happening over time, right? And so being able to iteratively, right, because you're not going to like come out with the right numbers or the most meaningful numbers out of the box, 
like iteratively, but take that up the chain, right? So go up to the you know, the quarterly executive meeting and sort of bring these in, right? So some of these, the data that the small scrappy team was collecting then got distributed around and got more attention. And then, oh, okay, well, that's good. And then it leads to questions, right? Well, what about this? And what about that? I don't understand what this means. And then using that to, to make that and get momentum. Have you been incorporating tooling into these conversations, like even from the, the six member team all the way to the hundred member team? Have you had to bring tooling in for observability or are you building your own you know, metrics based system? Well, we should we should build it all ourselves, right? No, <laughs> we don't build it all. No, I think terrible. So. That's why I asked. Oh, ask me how I know. <laughs> yes, of course. Bad idea. But we have done, what we try to do is, is take off-the-shelf tools and then integrate them ourselves for, for where it makes sense for us, right? And so API gateways, right? We're not going to build an API gateway. So, of course, we're big API gateway. Tools like um, the Splunks and the Datadogs and those sorts of things in the background for, for doing that. We've built some of our own observability layer in between, right? So we'll sort of allow our application developers and our API developers to connect up to this lower-level infrastructure, in a way that's meaningful for tracking our transactions, right? Uh, that sort of glue. And again, gluing the API catalog to those backend systems. Uh, so trying to be smart and learning, right? So some things we tried and we're like, oh, we're going to have to change that. But try and be you know, re- relatively agile about trying things out, seeing what works, and then building out this more sophisticated tool set. So yeah, a bunch of Postman we use, right? So again, so you sort of look at each stage, whether it's design, development, debugging, you know, operational monitoring, publishing, right? So we then built tools around our API publishing pipeline that would allow disparate teams to publish to say an internal API gateway, which is a different gateway structure than the external cloud-based API gateway. But you know, over time, we got to the point where you know, here's the things you need to input. It's new, Jason, you and I talked about this before, like linting is something that's sort of super important. How do you we, you know, we built our own API style guide, but if that's just a static thing that's sitting over on the side, it's it's much more easily sort of baked in, right? You can bake in success if you take the tools that you have, again, make them easy for the developers, right? So developers like easy. They like to, you know, build on the sh- you know, shoulders of others. They don't always want to reinvent the wheel. So if you can make that, if you can show them why it's in their own best interest to take these tools that you're giving them, it's like, oh, look, I get diagnostics out of the box or I avoided this security flaw, right? Um, and I didn't really have to do anything else because this other these other guys that already built this for us and that's awesome. Well and what we keep seeing with with the linting and you know notably we have the spectral open source project that is certainly pretty popular for this. And actually I'll, I'll even pick on Arnaud Laurent a little bit in his talk at API specs. It's like when you've taken all that basic stuff out of the way, you can have a conversation. Right, like you're not bogged down in does this convention match, and that security kind of stuff falls into the same bucket. I know, like we had, um, oh, I'm forgetting her first name, Moni from uh, Forty Two Crunch on, and uh, they they have very much the same approach of like let's catch everything on the left and save the pain on the right. So love that story. A lot of it is that shift left idea, right? How, how do you sort of how do you catch those things early and with the least amount of friction, right? And you don't have to make it like all no, right? It can be just like a linter does. You can sort of warn people or give them advice, right? It doesn't have to be like all stops here. I mean, security ones, okay, that's a different story. But again, so some of the other stuff can be sort of fed in. So shifting gears a little bit, there, the obvious unique thing about you know talking to you working at Ford here is like 
we always talk on the podcast about, you know, how do you set up your program? What are the things that work? That kind of stuff. I think you got a unique factor in that, you know, there's big hunks of rolling steel out on the road by the millions that not only interact with some of these APIs, but host some of them from my understanding. So like when you've thought about how to kind of do things, you know, pervasively or consistent, how does, how is that different in the car world versus kind of say building your backend systems or, you know, B2B integration or whatever? Yeah. I mean, cars are awesome. But they're definitely different when it comes to, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to, how are you going to turn these things into these sort of digital phones on wheel, right? How are they going to make this iPhone on wheels kind of, and I think, because then you're like, it's, it's, it's basically this mega IOT device, right? Right. The car is this sort of composite, super composite IOT device. It's kind of dwarfs what's in your phone, right? The phone plus, 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 right? These days, there are you know minimum of fifty of these you know ECUs, these electronic control units. They all have chips in them, which is why we have this chip problem right now, because everything's got a computer in it, right? Everything is effectively you know within the within the vehicle. There's these you know the CAN bus and all these sort of you know lower level communication occurring across these devices, which have to happen in real time, otherwise your brakes or your engine don't work. And so there's both the internal sort of effectively lower level APIs that have existed in the in the vehicle for years, for decades at this point, but they've been very isolated, right? These little silver boxes that kind of only talk to each other at a very low level. So both within Ford and across the industry, there's, there's AutoSAR, which is a standard around trying to abstract out what goes on across components so that, you know, across suppliers and you know, tier one and tier two and tier three suppliers that we all work with and work together, how do we start to rationalize more of how these communicate because we now you know, all see that this is a you know an industry-wide need and it's not just the api right it's also like the the, the data elements right so it's what is in there right what's your what, what when you say fuel level what do you mean by fuel level like when you say rpms what, what do you mean by that and you know all sorts of other details these levels of APIs that you're referring to, the low levels like your CAN bus or OBD, these are like more programmatic interfaces, like not web APIs that we're talking about at that layer, right? These are not restful web APIs, right? But the goal is to continue to, to make them more, you know, push those same principles, right, uh, that we've you know, adopted in the web and sort of make those more common, right, the abstractions. And you'll never be the same because it's a different, it's a different universe, right? It's real time. So that's the vehicle part, and we talk more about that, but also safety critical, right? Yeah. So, so we as a company are very attuned to you know, safety, right? This is a, you know, safety and privacy are two of our guiding principles. Right? Every time you talk about any of these conversations, you know, safety and then ultimately privacy are part of this conversation. Then there's that next layer of vehicle to the cloud, right? So this sort of this connectivity layer of how and sometimes, you know, they, people talk about, the, oh, this massive amount of data that's available from the vehicle. You can get all this stuff. From the, and with any IoT scenario, and again, here I'm multiplied by, you know, 100x, one of, your, one of your challenges is like, that's too much data. Like, I can't push that much data up to the cloud unless you want to build a customer $1,000 a month for, the, for their <laughs> connectivity bill. That's not going to fly, right? So you have to then think about, again, like in any you know, edge computing or IoT environment, where do you apply the smarts? Where's the compute, right? So we're building more and more compute into the vehicle itself, right? Increasing both, you know, the built-in compute, the bandwidth to grow it over time, because again, 
these these vehicles, you don't want to bring it every six to 12 months to put a new CPU in there, right? You're not going to do that. So you kind of have to plan for a longer term and over the air updates, which we can talk about, right? In terms of being super critical, but then there's that connectivity, right? So what, what do you expose both in terms of APIs and, and in general, part of what we've done on that front is in just over about two years ago, we acquired, we had earlier invested in and ultimately acquired a company called autonomic.ai in the Bay Area. And they were focused on, and they're core to what we do on the vehicle API side, taking all that low level binary hex data that's coming off all the CAN bus and 100 different ECUs, rationalizing that, pushing that back up to the cloud, and then making pretty JSON, you know, RESTful APIs out of it above that, right? So for, for both us internally and for third parties, giving you that modern RESTful API above it, where you've done a lot of the dirty work and you've taken the diagnostic trouble codes and the you know, zero X, blah, 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 and turn that into something meaningful, right? That's a big chunk of what, for example, autonomic AI is done within the Ford umbrella. We, we also refer to it as the uh, transportation mobility cloud, but that's what that does, right? So, and across all the vehicles. And so I don't think in 2021 you can buy uh, a Ford. I believe we've done it across the entire vehicle line. They all come with an embedded modem, right? A 4G modem. So they come off the assembly line. You, you as a, as a, as I say, a retail customer have the ability to sort of say, well, I do or do want to use this, but there are a ton of advantages to using it, whether it's for Ford Pass and all these other things. Um, yeah, and, and Ford Pass for listeners, and I know Anna, you know, because you're also Ford family here. But like, my use cases that are super common are like, I can tell whether or not I need air in the tires and be alerted of it without even being in the vehicle, notified of when oil changes are coming up. So like, totally meaningful here that all this sensor level data being fed up to cloud so that it can be integrated on my phone has a huge consumer impact. And you didn't mention one of the other sort of very often used features, and it varies by season. It's kind of interesting to learn the seasonality to a remote start. Mm-hmm. I'm in Detroit. Big one for us. <laughs> yeah. say, I live in Texas, so I don't talk about it. Anna probably uses it all the time. <laughs> right. From a season perspective, right? You um, Certainly, again, in the wintertime, it's, it's so much nicer to be able to go out to a nice warm vehicle, right? And all you have to do is you know push a button in your app, and the car starts warming up for you, right? For what it's worth, our seasonality in Texas is we use it in the middle of the summer. So I've been using it recently. <laughs> exactly, right, exactly. You're the, you're the other end. Again, we look at the numbers as sort of dips in the edge seasons. It's really North America, but and then I think you know I don't just to to expand on that, right? So those same APIs, for example, that can help you locate where your vehicle is, you know, start your vehicle, see the fuel level or the air pressure level, right? So those are all there for going to the Ford Pass app, but like with any good API. It's there, right? So therefore, what what other things can be done, you know, with it, you know, we use it for other things internally, but then also um, with partners, right? So from an ecosystem, you know, a good API program, and, you know, we certainly see it this way as, as enabling, you know, new services. So just over a year ago, one of the things that we did on the retail side was partnered with Amazon. So when you order packages on Amazon, you can have those packages delivered to your vehicle. So instead of saying, oh, here's my home address, you, you have to, of course, go through a few authorization steps to make this all happen. But once you've done that, the Amazon driver can come and deliver it to the trunk of your car. So you can be at work or wherever, um, somewhere on the road. It's all done in a, in a very secure manner. And it can pop the trunk and, and you know, turn off the alarm. And then it turns that alarm back on 
when it, when they leave. So it's a seamless way to use your car as another delivery address, right? But it's using the same, it was super cool. And it's the same APIs. I'm actually sitting here flipping around, looking at it while you're talking about it. I'm like, <laughs> pop up on the bed of my truck. I already got the cover on there. Grocery <laughs> delivery. Just every, every application. That's so cool. Well, and there are a bunch of startups, right? And bigger companies thinking about all the different things you can do now that the cars are, and vehicles are connected, right? So there's uh, fuel delivery, right? And you may have seen, there's a number of fuel delivery startups and, and big oils looking at this as well. Like how we could, you know, it's not, some states allow it, some don't, but again, bringing the fuel to your car. So, you know, just like you would have your or laundry delivery, right? Or any of those things. If the car is digitally addressable in a secure way and you, you, you opt into that. But a car is such a fundamental part of your life, right? So it, it, it makes sense that it, it becomes so ingrained in, in your day-to-day activities that it becomes a new postal box even or a new place to engage with some of the services you use every single day. That's so fascinating. And it kind of like the light bulb has to go off, right? Because like, oh yeah, that's right. No, I never really thought about it. Oh wait, that's other thing. Yeah, okay. So you know, that's where kind of where the early days where we are, right? Which kind of makes it so exciting. So I guess bringing this back to you know, kind of these big overarching, like how do you you know how does Ford build with better operational excellence and APIs and presumably higher quality and better innovation? Looking at how how these kind of you know web APIs are getting designed for cars versus the internal services. Are there commonalities between those things or are they so different that you have like completely bespoke set of rules for each? They historically were so different, right? I think what we're trying to do over time is start to, okay, bring those closer together. They'll never be the same, right? But for example, by abstracting the differences in different, you know, headlights across cars and different, so you start to build these abstraction layers in the vehicle and then think about the APIs and data around them. And then over time start to then they open up those opportunities that you didn't have before. Right. So to make it a bit closer to what you see in the cloud. And again, we'll always have that. You're always going to have to have that layer to sort of translate the two at some point, but the closer that they look, the, the better. Right. Yeah. Having tinkered with CAN bus stuff before I would be extremely grateful to not have to touch it. <laughs> right. Cause you know, the, the OBD2, which is that standard for plugging into the, the vehicle. I mean, if you're if you're a car hacking geek, that's like second nature to you. But to anybody else, it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it is all like this, you know, scary hex stuff. And like, whoa. Well, and CAN bus is like a globalized version of the onboard diagnostics. Anyways, car geeking aside. So, I mean, what you're kind of describing is this sort of common models that are applicable across all things. So, like you mentioned headlights, like trying to find, there's one way that we describe the headlights. We have one representation for that. It should be true whether you're looking at some back-end system or you're you know, interacting with these kind of vehicle-centric APIs. Is that about right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Another recurring theme of you know, find your common models and be consistent across all your channels. So it's really cool to see that that can even apply to like, I like your description, like a giant IoT device. <laughs> Very cool. And, and again, I sort of come back to, you know, principles around security and privacy, right? Because I think, you know, there, there are natural concerns around those. And so that's why for no OEM, no auto manufacturer, you're going to see these, this grand open API program right now because it, you have to be so careful about those things, right? 
And so, you know, as owners, you're, you're afraid of that, right? Because it's connected. It's like, oh, you know, whether, you know, again, the quality of the software, both built internally, but also, again, hackers and anything else that might go wrong, right? You just have to be really, you know, focused on, on that. And again, from a privacy perspective, again, that's a very private piece of information you have around where you go and, you know, any of that, right? So, you know, we're very careful about respecting those, those fundamental principles. We dabbled in a obviously a much smaller sphere of that when I was at UShip many years back on starting to add location services to the app when we had truckers delivering things. And it's like, it just have this constant cultural reminder that like we have a full accounting of everywhere this person's been. This is life-changing data in the wrong hands. So I can, can't even fathom what that's like at the scale you guys are working on globally. It makes sense that that OEMs OEMs aren't really taking on that challenge, and that partnerships are so important to your business model right now because you need a good partnership that knows how to handle those security concerns. That you don't have to worry about that data falling out into the wrong hands, but that means that your APIs for those partnerships have to be easy, right? Because the how how else do you open up opportunities unless you are creating APIs that your partners can use? So it goes all the way from the car all the way up, right? Into, into the business. Right. And then easy also means documentation. So going back to your earlier question around who's on the team, right? Because you need people who know how to do that well, right? You need that developer experience and API docs and getting started guides and whatever tooling you might need around that to make that experience, you know, both for our internal teams and for our partners work well, right? Absolutely. Does it doesn't just happen by magic? If only you could wave your hand and make it happen by magic. All of our customers wish the same thing. That's what Stoplight is for. <laughs> so, you know, from us chatting before, it sounds like you're kind of shifting gears into more of this Ford Pro kind of the fleet fleet management aspect of things. Where do you see that kind of space, you know, moving toward around kind of the usage of the APIs? You mentioned before, just you know, having them in the vehicles is a hell of a starting point. But you know, what are the kinds of opportunities that's going to open up? And I think that's it's a good topic. And I realized one thing we didn't touch on. So I'll just I want to interject one other sort of piece of my time at Ford where I just was coming out of, which is the self-driving cars, right? And, you know, that's overall farther down the road, but we're working on it now, right? And so self-driving cars are APIs all the way down, right? Like, so, you know, whether, you know, we've invested heavily in, in a company out of in, in the Pittsburgh area called Argo.ai and Argo, you know, is providing... All, all of that deep AI around how to actually do the driving, you know, itself. And, and we're running pilot tests in Miami and DC, Detroit and other cities that we gradually start to run these pilot programs for self-driving cars. But again, you can't do, it's all those same things, but at a whole nother level, right? Because it's still APIs under the covers, and even more so, right? So the you know Ford APIs talk to Argo APIs in this case in the vehicle, and you have to be more attuned to how well does all that compute infrastructure work in a disconnected scenario because you can't always rely on connectivity, but yet the car is there running itself. So it's another place in which you know APIs are super important, API tooling super important, governance right, doing it well, being secure, quality APIs multi-party APIs, right? So again, sort of it's an ecosystem to actually make that work. So I think in the future, as you, you know, when you hear and, and see more sort of self-driving cars out there, just keep in the back of your mind that self-driving car is driven by APIs. 
I think maybe that's our teaser there. When I ask about pro, you start talking about autonomous. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. Should I take the hint? <laughs> no. So, so, so for, you know, for, for Ford, we have the other inflection point right before there. So some of the, you know, the big inflection points right now are connectivity, right? So all the vehicles are connected. Electrification, right? So electrification is this, you know, Again, Ford announced just last week, you know, an eleven billion dollar investment in these new U.S.-based EV battery and vehicle manufacturing plants, and so that's a, potentially one of our biggest investments ever, right? So it's around EVs, but EVs are all connected. You you don't have a not connected EV, right? So these things build on each other, um, and then farther down the road, you're going to have the AVs, right? So this is part of that, you know, longer term when you sort of look over the course of time when you think about cars over the next five to 10 years, this is where it's going, right? So it's connected vehicles, electric vehicles, self-driving vehicles, right? And then you have these mobility services built on top. So coming back to the pro question, circuitous route, if you're a commercial vehicle, like we all individually, I suspect a lot of folks listening on the, you know, on the podcast here, you, know, you have a car, whether it's a Ford car or another one, you think about your, your experience as a, as a single owner. But, you know, there are fleet owners that have anything from two to you know two thousand vehicles or more, and if you extrapolate what it means to be connected, electric, API-driven platforms, there's a whole like huge opportunity to build some really valuable services on top of that, right? So that's you know back in in the spring, Ford announced a whole new. Uh, division with its own CEO focused solely at, because we have such a lion's share and such a core competency around the commercial vehicle space as, as effectively the leader in that space with you know, transit vans, pickup trucks, chassis, you know, upfit custom vehicles, police vehicles. You know, we have the lion's share of the police vehicle market. So the commercial space is, is huge and it's a core competency of ours. And so doubling down on that strength, now that they are all going to be connected, let's start to give our customers, our commercial customers, a whole new set of options that they didn't have previously. So that's what this new division that we're just spinning up now. Um, and that's where I just joined that group to help lead some of the engineering efforts over there. Um, well, and it's I can't help but observe along that same timeline, that's uh, roughly as this new Ford Lightning full electric kind of EV truck is coming to market, I'd have to imagine that's the confluence of all those capabilities, right? Exactly. Yeah, the two big ones that are coming up in the next 12 months are later this year, early next year, is the e-transit. So it's that transit van. And, and again, as, as, a, as someone managing a fleet, you become much more conscious around cost, right? Uptime. Every time that thing's in a shop, that's costing you money. You, 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 you know, so thinking about how can you use these digital services to maximize your uptime, reduce your cost, best utilize that fleet. Once they're electric, how do I optimize that? And that's giving me another chance to both. It's, it's, it's on the one hand, maybe a complication, but on the other hand, it's an opportunity. And so again, building this entire digital layer for that business is key to what Ford Pro will be about. And how to uh, enable the diff different locations to have infrastructure. So you're going to need electric vehicle places to charge. You're going to need dealerships that are service, be able to service those individual, you know, electric and autonomous vehicles. They're not prepared yet for that kind of work, right? So you need to be able to lay the, the foundations to enable those, those places to, to have your inventory. 
Yeah, and that's a great point because we just acquired a really cool company, a, a Bay Area company called Electrify.ai um, this summer, so in July. And their focus was on uh, helping fleet owners manage this sort of you know, depots and charging. And they have some really cool tools around that. So that'll be integrated into our, you know, into our overall offering. And again, I think it's a huge opportunity and always APIs under the covers. Oh, even if the API is not in the story, there's an API in there somewhere. All right. So I guess the read between the lines tip here is if you're in a uh, auto oriented startup and you want to be acquired by Ford, make sure it ends in .ai, right? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. You know. I think all the other .coms are taken anyway. So, you know, <laughs> .io as well would probably fly. Feels like a pretty good point to wrap. We, I think, got through a lot of the high level subjects we were looking for. I guess any, you know, I always want to kind of bring it back to, you know, knowing we have listeners who hear all this big complex stuff and go, well, you have massive resources and all these things to throw at it. But maybe, you know, I'm a team of one or a small team or a small company. Like, where would I get started if I don't have all those resources and, and, and have to deal with all that complexity? And, you know, moving in the same direction Ford is with investing big in APIs and seeing innovation and quality increase. Similarly, we try to start small, right? So I think even even though we're huge, right? Even just like that platform enablement team was another example of where we try to be small and focused and and go from there, right? So I think, you know, it's not necessarily a disadvantage, right? And then thinking about how am I baking in API thinking, platform thinking from the beginning? So even in my small couple man shop, you know, how do I think about sort of APIs and platforms being core to what I'm doing and having that sort of set of, again, tools to help you do it, right? Because you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So, you know, there's a bunch of both commercial and open source tools for, for, for developers now that didn't exist two, five, 10 years ago. So just like going to GitHub, I think the you know, part, of, part of what's in your, you know, thinking is like, how can I leverage this to accelerate what I'm trying to do? Right. Because there's more, you know, there's more tooling all the time and that helps with the speed and complexity and the gotchas. Right. And so it's not, you know, those, those are super, you know, accelerators, right. Tools can be accelerators. Well said. Well, John, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, this has definitely been a different one talking car stuff so much, but being a dyed in the wool car guy. And I mean, you know, my dad worked at a dealership for 20 years fixing Fords, right? I grew up with it. So definitely cool to get to geek out on that. But I think also just to wrap our heads around the scale you guys are dealing with and really the the world changing effects of some of these things. It's uh, feels like a really interesting time to to talk about it. Yeah. And I, you know, a, thanks for having me on. It's been fun to, to chat about it and geek out and we can always do do it again. Um, I'm sure there'll be more to talk about another time. Also, we're hiring. So if any of this sounds interesting, there's four jobs online. You can come and sort of see we, we need all, all the same skill sets, right? All these sort of software related folks. We, we certainly, you know, we're, we're definitely hiring, you know, and it's an exciting time to be in this space. So. No question. Well, and uh, I should also thank Anna for uh, stepping up to help co-host again. And I guess with that, we'll say goodbye, listeners. So uh, make sure and go check out Ford Jobs Online. Right? That sounds like our call to action here at the end. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question. And we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.